Funk Radio is brought to you by Overmental.com, the media culture hive mind. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Welcome to Folk Radio. Today, Peter, I know you are, have a special interest in the subject matter, so you should tell us what we're talking about, because I can't describe it very well. Yeah, sure. So, um, I was having, a, when, when my family was here um, over the last month or so, uh, you know, because obviously I personally don't really listen to the radio literally ever. I mean, I don't know <laughs> how well that bodes being a co-host of a music podcast, but I, I actually don't listen to the radio um, at all, primarily because I don't really like Top 40 style music, at least most of it anyway. Um, and so as I was listening, because like my, my family, obviously, a lot of people obviously do listen to it. I was thinking like, I don't enjoy this type of music, but this is the type of music that I'm told is popular and this is what I should be liking. So then it got me thinking of like, uh, you know, popular music and even like, you know, top 40 music today, where, how did radio stations decide that that's the most popular music? Like are people, are they actually gathering like uh, data of like, this is what people like to listen to, or are they basically just saying, here's music that, the big uh, record labels gave us listen to it and enjoy it because we say so and we have money. Probably a little bit of both, I would assume. Right. So, uh, yeah, I figured we would spend uh, at least a few minutes just kind of discussing how that process actually works. Uh, I mean, given kind of the, the two examples I just gave, I mean, it kind of does kind of tip in the direction of, uh, you know, the corporations basically telling us what's popular more or less yeah i mean that was my initial like inkling before doing research and that turned out to be correct um i guess not too surprisingly well i mean it makes sense i mean just from a economic standpoint the large labels have the means to get artists out there get their cds in stores get them on commercials so and they have the capital to do so so whatever artists these large companies push are going to become popular simply by exposure, no? Oh yeah, absolutely. And part of part of the the problem with that actually is that um you know, part part of what I was reading in my research was that like today especially like people don't buy music very much as much as just you you just like listening to it. So you can't they can't mm-hmm. uh really base the popularity of a song based on how many sales it gets these days um not as much as they used to anyway and so the popularity of a song is based on how much people are hearing it but if the big record companies are determining what you're hearing then basically like i said i mean they're basically determining what's popular because if you get like um a relatively unknown artist who isn't part of a major record label um it's gonna be extremely hard for that person to get airplay anywhere because the radio stations basically have these deals already set up with the big record labels and there's no extra time for you know to play independent stuff 
or in many cases they're not even, they're not even allowed to necessarily because they're on contract with these other these other companies. So you know, trying to break if in in a world now where getting heard is how you become popular instead of necessarily making sales, it's extremely popular for the people who can't be heard, basically, uh, at least not through traditional radio means. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad that that's how it is now but I mean I don't know if it was always like that but it seems like it's been like that for a long time I can't say for sure but I know that just one example um, and I like there's many examples that we've even talked about on the show of you know the role of the radio DJs in the popularity of a song you know a few decades ago because there'd be cases especially like one good example is you have uh, when the when the record label gives you know like here's the A side here's the B side of the record uh, a lot of you know sometimes the DJs would actually like the B side better and they would play that and that would, that side actually became more popular even though the record labels gave it to them with the attention of the A side becoming more popular you know what i mean mhm yeah that's true um, another big example i can think of is uh from that comic I was reading recently, uh, Hip Hop Family Tree. Um, oh yeah, great comic by the way. Uh, that chronicles like the history of uh, the development of hip hop, hip hop music, and you know so much of its early development and exposure had to do with like small radio station DJs, basically that were in tune with what was going on in their neighborhoods, basically, and broadcasting out to a wider range of people. And, and so arguably uh, genres of music as big as even hip-hop like may not be what they were today if it weren't for like the the creative control of radio DJs yeah and that's that's kind of a that's kind of a good point it's like for a long time DJs have always helped set what's popular based on what they play on the radio but as fewer and fewer people listen to the radio like will that become less and less true and more like artists will be determined or new artists will become popular more through like internet presence or something. I don't know. Yeah. And you know, it's, I, I can't really speak as to like how different internet venues compare to straight up radio play. Uh, I kind of imagine, I mean like a lot of people still do listen to the radio uh, it, it's obviously not the only source of music. I mean, we have you know many different internet, uh, you know, music streaming services now that kind of compete with traditional radio. But uh, I think radio still have, has the upper hand in terms of hearing, uh, hearing you know what's po- quote unquote popular. True. There's something. There's something about regular radio that I think is more personable because. Most other streaming services or whatever, you're you're choosing the playlist and you're choosing what to play. Even Pandora, mm. you're choosing how the playlist is populated based on what you like. But with radio, it's someone else playing music to, for you that they th- think you'll like based on the whatever station you picked. I guess, right? Whether it be popular or rock or I don't know, jazz. So, I don't know. I think something about that personability is what people like about radio. 
not necessarily, you know, the commercials and all that crap, but uh, the fact that it's like, oh, I didn't know about this artist until this other human being played their song. Yeah, and I mean, like, there are obviously cases of, like, there's, like, college radio stations. I think you were listening to the UCI one a bit, and maybe you still do. Maybe mm-hmm. not now that you have XM. Um, not really. But, um, you know, that stuff like that still exists. I think college radio stations especially are really good at, introducing people to kind of what's new and not necessarily popular not at least yet um but also there's other stations that you know may focus on a specific genre like jazz for example um or may just be generally better about playing uh quote-unquote unpopular music um but i would say the majority of radio stations now are all pretty much carbon copies of each other oh my gosh perfect example of that me and Tiff were um, driving to downtown Disney or something, and I kid you not, three different stations at the exact same time were playing that new Taylor Swift song. Tiff, Bad blood. do the thing. Bad blood. Um, and I was just like, "Are you kidding me?" And she was laughing her butt off because she likes Taylor Swift. You do. There's nothing wrong with Taylor Swift. There's nothing wrong with Taylor Swift. I admit nothing! (laughs) I admit nothing! Uh, It was just funny because, like, this song just came out, like, maybe a month ago or, like, whatever. And already it's, like, overplayed to the point of nausea. Hmm. And that's what I was thinking, like, like, okay, remember Uptown Funk? Mm-hmm. I love that song, and I still like that song, but the, it gets to a point with these popular radio stations where they play it so much that even to someone who likes it, it almost becomes, like, nails on a chalkboard. Mm. When you're literally hearing it, like, every fourth song, it's just like, please, just stop. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I wonder if, I mean, I'm sure there's something to that, too. You know, people don't necessarily I'm sure there's like, care as much. There's, like, a formula, I'm sure, like, it, for the top 40, like, whatever song is number one, it's like, you have to play the number one song twice an hour, and you have to play the number two song once an hour, yeah. you know? It's probably some stupid, like, sales formula they've developed. Speaking of which, um, is there actually, like, a sort of metric of sorts for the top 40 outside of just you know sales uh there is um it's kind of from what i can understand at least um it seems to be kind of a complex universal system that kind of logs uh music you know and any pretty basically every song in existence and it you know it, it logs like every time it gets played somewhere every time someone buys it and it's kind of all amassed into this one central database that record companies and radio stations use uh, basically to see what is the most popular at any given time uh that's interesting yeah it's kind of an interesting setup but and obviously like i don't understand it on a level that you know a professional would but that's kind of how it works i guess we probably should talk a little bit about the actual process of like how yeah, was, a, a record label uh, gives music basically to radio stations because that was one of my big questions 
is like mm-hmm. how how that system works. And actually, I will I will give a shout out to uh, HowStuffWorks.com because uh, they they give a really interesting breakdown with multiple pages about how this whole system works. Interesting. Also, uh, I really like their their podcast as well. Um, I don't know. It's just really interesting, oh, yeah. like slice of life stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's a good podcast. Um, uh, on the topic of this, though, because uh, it's not like because we've been saying like, oh, the record labels pay radio stations to play their music, basically more or less. That's basically how it works. But um, since doing that directly is basically illegal, and it has been for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, what they do is that they um, there's basically this middlemen. Uh, people called indies i believe and so basically what, what, what an indie does is they they approach a radio station and they say okay i will be your exclusive representative for this particular song in exchange you know you know you can play this song whatever in exchange um i will if you play this song i will pay you anywhere between seventy five thousand to a hundred thousand dollars per year for one song and that's not that's not like saying okay, I'm going to pay you to play this song. They're saying, play this song, and in exchange, I'll give you 75 to 100 grand of quote-unquote promotional support. And basically, this means that that money legally is supposed to be used for, like, gifts or vacations or gift cards that the radio station uses for, like, promotional stuff, like, hey, be the first caller, and you can win a trip to Vegas for the weekend, you know? Oh, that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, I hate that. So they give them seventy-five to hundred grand of money, in that sense. So that's kind of how they get all that stuff. Um, and in exchange for them having all this stuff to give away, um, they basically get you know exclusive rights to play that song and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and and if any like you know professional music people are listening, and I'm kind of getting this wrong, then please let us know on Facebook. But I think generally this is uh, vaguely how it works. Um, mm-hmm. The, the problem with that, though, is when it, the problem starts when you get stations that don't necessarily use 100% of all that money for giveaways, you know, and the rest of it gets pocketed. And you can imagine that probably happens a lot. Um, so once once this person, this indie, has uh, basically a contract set up with uh, the record state, uh, sorry, the, uh, the radio station, then they go to the record company and say, okay, um, I locked in your song with these radio stations now give me money <laughs> um and so the, the record company pays uh, i guess a fee of this says usually around a thousand dollars every time the station adds one of the label songs to its playlist so this says for most singles the record companies are paying in the neighborhood of a hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand to indies damn so that's quite a lot of money so basically this entire job of independent promoters are they're basically like just money handlers exactly they because the labels can't directly contact stations and say play our songs they pay these independent people to do that for them Mm -hmm. and then the independent people get a kickback from the record company that they use to both pay themselves and to pay the stations through this these promotional tools exactly it's, i don't know if that's sad or not but honestly nowadays it seems like that's how everything works there's a middleman for everything yeah i mean it's i mean it, 
it's essentially a legal loophole. I mean, that's how the entire system works now. Mm. And I, I, I kind of think that's a little sad. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because, you know, I don't think anyone, I mean, most of us aren't necessarily a huge fan of, you know, a few small or a few large corporations controlling, you know, most of the market. But actually, it says that. Uh, rather than having more than 5,000 radio station owners in the country, four companies now own 62% of the top 40 radio market. Uh, so that means four companies now own roughly two-thirds of about 5,000 radio stations. Totally going on like a liberal rant here. Sorry. <laughs> no, please um, do. I, you know the whole antitrust thing that in like the 1910s or whatever basically saying like you can't have monopoly in an industry? Mm-hmm. Like... When are we going to get to the point where it's like, okay, monopolies are, we know monopolies are bad, but it's also bad when like 90% of us of an industry is owned by two or three companies, but it's fine because it's not one. Yeah. Um, but like, it's just silly how naive we are that it's like, oh, we know monopolies are bad, but we're totally fine if it's not one company owning everything, it's two or three. <laughs> exactly. Because... They are, they're competing with each other which is beneficial for us even though they're usually in collusion they just find you know legal ways to get around mm-hmm. it and, you know, so, and obviously this isn't the only industry li- that liberal rant over <laughs> it's never over with you Kyle no I'm sorry um, like I was saying like this obviously isn't the only industry that runs like this I mean the one that pops in my head especially is like the, the film industry as well oh of course I mean, well, film slash TV, I guess. Because when was Disney, it like the six big companies or whatever? Yeah, Disney. I think Disney, Warner Brothers, Fox, and uh, Paramount literally make like ninety five percent and Universal of maybe. like the top grossing movies any year, every year. Yeah, and Universal. Thank you. It's like the only the only reason there even are independent uh, film studios anymore is because they're usually started by. Um, you know, either independent directors or actors wanting to get into directing. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard for them to compete with other... Now, oftentimes, if you have a director with a good brand, like, uh, say... Shoot. What's the guy that did Batman? Nolan, thank you, thank you, thank you. Christopher Nolan. He has a production company, I think it's like Syncopy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But because he's such a brand himself, he can he can afford to do that. Right. And now we're talking about film. <laughs> I love I love our side. I mean, it's 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 relevant. Detours, of course, um, always. Yeah, we were talking earlier about like the role of uh, DJs in you know choosing what songs are actually played. Because this is another question that I had when doing research: is like who um, who's actually choosing what the songs are. If not the DJs, obviously, you know, it's the companies, but who within those companies is doing that? Um, Yeah. And so basically what happens is that since basically the money flow is coming from those record labels and since record labels seem to own a lot of the the radio stations anyway, outright, Mm -hmm. I mean, they I don't know if they can necessarily legally tell you what to play, but they can strongly suggest it. And actually, maybe, maybe they actually, maybe they, if they own the, the stations, I think they can actually tell them what to play. Um, 
but I, I was reading that it's become very much more decided from like a high like executive level um mm-hmm. what's get what gets played rather than like at the dj level the djs can't actually decide what gets played you know what goes on the air they're basically just there to play the music and you know have a few jokes give away a few trips to vegas i i don't remember where it said in this article but it was saying that like djs haven't had any kind of role in what gets played in in years which to me is a little sad because that, to me that actually made me feel like that must be kind of boring to be a DJ now because I mean yeah to, to at least if you have any so desire to play to music, you yeah you basically so are just told what is, to do exactly I mean especially for you know the big the big big you know semi-national radio stations or like you know east coast west coast whatever mm-hmm. um the DJs are basically admin themselves they're paid to play what the record labels want to play and in the meantime they're getting paid to hawk you know advertise i always hate those advertisements on the radio where it's the dj saying you know i crashed my car the other week and i wouldn't have you know been able to get as much money as i did without blah 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 shit face car insurance you guys should totally buy that i'm not you know a corporate shield at all yeah see like I, I I hate that shit. I I really don't like that either on the radio. I actually kind of enjoy it a little bit on podcasts. And the How Stuff Works one is actually an example of one that does have those as well because you can tell that, and they're pretty they're usually they're usually allowed to be upfront about it that they haven't necessarily tried it, or if they have, like they literally did it once and they're like, yeah, it was pretty good. But <laughs> it's it's much more realistic advertising. Not- they're like, hey, this is what they do. If you're interested, do it. It's See, not that's, like that's. I did it, and it's the best thing ever. Exactly. It's like, be upfront about it. Advertise, say they're good, whatever. Say you, but to go and be like, oh, I know from personal experience. It's like, you're full of shit. Yeah, and sometimes they do know from personal experience, because they did try it. Because there is value to that, but it's not like every single thing, like, oh, good thing I crashed my car. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, there's another interesting article from that, that might be um, a good future topic. How mm. music royalties work. Because I honestly never uh, figured that out. I really don't know how they work. That might be a future funk radio topic. Future since funk. we always seem to talk about that. Future funk. <laughs> Dude, what, what would future funk be? I mean, parliament? Because <laughs> I think that's a topic in itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we have a future funk about future funk. <laughs> Uh, let's see is there anything else you wanted to cover in this in this topic Um, I think we kind of covered the basics of it I was skimming something that I thought was interesting and I lost it hold on oh yeah talk uh, talking about how you know the whole top 40 system can help quote-unquote new artists and oftentimes I guess anecdotally you know when these artists break into the top 40 it, then, and their song quote makes it mm. like for them that could be like obviously a massive windfall of money and because when you create an album or a song even uh, you know there's the cost of producing the album there's promoting it there's going on tour mm. there's the cost of whatever instruments are involved so any musician has to sell a decent amount of albums to kind of break even and or make money mm-hmm. and by selling more CDs and merchandise, whatever, obviously that 
allows for more promotional opportunities like touring, which allows them to sell more, and it's just kind of this snowball effect mm-hmm. of shitting money. <laughs> and because the charts, as you said, are kind of based off a combination of airplay and record sales that are com- compiled into... It's almost like a Nielsen's rating for songs, I guess, is the best way I can describe it. Well, I think that's you literally know, was, what I think it literally is a Nielsen rating. Oh, oh, it, it is? It's yeah. actually called that? Yeah. Oh, well, look at me. You know, when these when these songs or these records, you know, make it through the top 40, it basically can make or break an artist, especially with new artists. Like, you always hear the whole concept of one-hit wonders. That's why they become wonders, even though they only have one hit. Heh. <laughs> Puns. See the thing though with that is that I don't think you, you don't think being in the top forty could ever really break you even if you are a one hit wonder mm. because even with one hit the amount of money you would make from like the exposure you would get true. I think you'd be fine I think yeah, most true. budding musicians would kill that's to have that I kind of money that's why I don't feel bad for a lot of one hit wonders it's just like dude like their one song or one album made them enough money to last any person in a lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Unless they're completely, like, financially responsible. <laughs> uh, one note on, because you were saying about, like, how they uh, go through, you know, marketing and uh, tour- yeah, touring yeah. and stuff. I One thing I was reading on this was that uh, the money for that doesn't actually come from the record label. that comes out of the artist's pocket mm-hmm. to, you know, all the, the huge expenses of touring and stuff. Yeah. So that kind Which of sucks funny for because that. I- which is funny because that's what everyone always says. Everyone always says, you know, touring is where the artists make the money. So, you know, that's how people justify things like pirating. And they're like, oh, you know, artists don't make money off album sales. They make money off touring. Which, Which is true, but they're also the ones paying for it, like out of their own yeah, pocket. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, tr- it, it's true that they get a, a large part of the kickback of, you know, ticket sales, merch sales, whatever but they're also fronting the cost probably a lot more so than producing the album. You know, if they're producing an album with a major studio, the studio's paying for the session time, the studio's paying for the instruments, the recording, Mm -hmm. all the other people involved, you know, the sound mixers, whatever. The artists aren't paying for that because it's basically an investment for the studio. They create, they pay to cultivate the artist, the artist's, work then become successful they get a majority of that money back yeah so i don't know i mean obviously artists make money somehow but you hear especially nowadays with things like spotify and taylor swift pulling her shit off spotify and all this all these different ways to get music it's like artists are saying oh you know the the dynamic has to change because we're not you know being fairly compensated monetarily for our work. Yeah. Which is probably true. Oh, absolutely. But it's kind of like one of those things where it's like you either have to separate yourself from the from the record label, which is really kind of the hand that feeds you right now mm-hmm. for most artists, and basically take the risk of doing it yourself, or you have to convince people to more actively participate in the music process by, you know, creating new methods of payment or new ways for you to support an artist. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I know we've talked about this before at least a couple of times, but right. it's, we, we keep going back to it. Artists, do something. Well, we haven't really approached it from this angle before, though. 
True. Because I think yeah, very true. Part, part of the the thing that got me thinking of this topic in general was that, like, you know, since since the very beginning of the show, we've been talking about like, oh, this song hit number five in the charts, or you know, etc. Like but we never really we never really stopped to think about like what that actually means or like how yeah. that happened. And of, as we kind of mentioned, this isn't the way that we describe the process works now. This is not how it always worked um, in decades yeah, no, past. Not, not at all. Obviously, but even how we were talking last uh, last episode about Motown, mm, the yeah. old rule in the '60s and obviously even before then of record labels or radio stations only playing one you know, artist or one track per record label. That's not the case anymore because there's only four or five major record labels. <laughs> yeah. Although <laughs> even then, even then, all the artists, even then they were pulling, Barry Gordy was pulling that, you know, crap. Exactly. The loopholes and stuff. So they, yeah. So they probably just like, oh, oh screw that rule. So, I mean, I, uh, I don't think we should necessarily look at the old model as like with the rose colored lenses. Yeah. Cause I think sure, exactly. it probably had its own flaws. Um, but I think from the perspective of artists, of unknown artists getting their names out there and DJs having like creative control over what gets played uh, mm-hmm. versus corporation executives, uh, I think that, that definitely was more impactful, I guess. Um, there's, there's another interesting thing here. I guess within the dynamic of radio stations, obviously there's the DJs that play the songs, but... Like, I don't know if it's necessarily, like, above them, but within that realm, there's also people called program directors who are the ones that actually develop the lists that mm. direct the DJ what to play. Now, obviously... So they're it's probably, like, their managers. With... Yeah, exactly. Obviously, they're in cooperation with, as you talked about, the, uh, the in... what do they call them, indies? Yeah. What the program directors do is they, you know, they watch the top 40 charts, they w- they look at what other... Uh, local or area radio stations have in their playlists, and what they're uh, and they respond to audience tastes and audience evolution, and they create playlists based on a lot of these factors. You know, even the uh, as we were talking about before the Nielsen thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's funny is program directors actually have like software applications that they utilize, almost like a a stockbroker utilizes that analyzes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, audience listening and tracking, you know, top 40 songs, tracking uh, album sales. And it, similar to that Nielsen program, it compiles, compiles a lot of this data for the program director so that they can decide what to keep in their playlist, what to add, what to remove, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, all I mean, the, at least I would hope there's some personal discrepancy there i'm sure because they're being paid by you know their pay is probably largely from advertising on the stations mm-hmm. you know advertisers want you to listen to the station because the station is playing songs people want to listen to they're you know beholden to audience taste i guess yeah but that audience taste is controlled by it's all a big circle man <laughs> yeah i mean you, you did mention like the, the multiple kind of sources of where, like, how do they decide what to play? And one of those is, uh, you know, actual listenership. So yeah. it's not like people have no say in what gets played, but it is really skewed because mm-hmm. you're basically choosing between, you know, for example, Uptown Funk versus, 
the Taylor Swift song. Mm-hmm. You're not choosing between up down funk and some really obscure thing no one's heard of. You're basically oh, they're, get, they're getting choice between among like the stuff that's already popular. True. Here's something interesting uh, that gives me some hope for the future is um, on top of obviously all of this analytical data that PDs have to sift through. They also oftentimes listen to local college radio stations mm. to um, f- try to, you know, get their get the pulse on the music that will become mainstream mm-hmm. down the road. So, and as, as you discussed before, college radio stations obviously much more independent. They have much more creative freedom to choose stuff that people within that target demographic that everyone's going after. You know, eighteen to twenty-five year olds. Mm-hmm. Uh, are listening to at the moment, which may not be mainstream popular, like indie music or whatever the hell you want to call it. So that's interesting. Yeah, and so, I mean, I guess you could argue that, like, the very broad uh, movements in music could be a little bit more defined by mm-hmm. that level of stuff, but the actual, like, the actual stuff that gets played when you get down to the actual songs, that's definitely coming from major record levels. Uh, exactly. And, you know, yeah. Corporate conference rooms and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, whatever is being played on these indie college radio stations, it's a lot harder for those artists to break out. And even if they do, they end up getting poached by a major record label. And then the whole cycle starts over again, mm-hmm. you know, how many times have you seen those biopic movies about some and such band, you know, getting signed with some major record label that, you know, completely recultivates them into some corporate, you know, <laughs> amalgam, like, you know, ghost of what they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it seems like it's, it's like the fairy tale of music. Yeah. That'd be a good name for uh, an album or a band, the music fairy tale. <laughs> So yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, me too. Um, but th- this was actually um, a bit more interesting than even I had expected, you know, going into yeah, doing yeah. research for this. We hope your listeners thought so too. Yay. Um, if, if you want, you can do additional research and get more into the nitty gritty, but I think we did a pretty good job, if I say so myself. Indeed, for about 30 minutes worth of research. <laughs> well, it's more than you listeners did. True. If you did more research than us, tell us on Facebook. At Facebook. If not, <laughs> if not, trust that everything we say is fact. We are truth. We are light. So yeah. You know what else um, is truth? The delicious yes. taste of Coca-Cola. <laughs> Pay us money. Yeah. See, actually, I, I, I asked, because I know you were you were talking shit on, like, the advertising and, like, sponsorship and stuff. I actually wouldn't mind if we had that on the show, because I feel like we could have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, <laughs> but the problem is we end up having too much fun and then being sued by those same companies because we misrepresent their, like, like Arby's. It makes me shit orange. <laughs> like, you know, and then they'll be like, "And we're suing you." See, the funny thing is, I can't think of a, a good example of this, but I know I've heard that. Like, I, I think if you're like, obviously we're not, but like, if you're like a popular enough personality, that they don't even care like what you say about them like just you talking about them is like enough yeah it's for them exactly so like you could still like, like talk John, shit on them. john stewart he always rags on arby's 
and yet they probably could care less because exactly yeah he's st- he's still just saying the word Arby's exactly so I think that's 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 a goal personal goal for me mm-hmm. for for us here is that we can to become so famous that where you can talk shit on a on a company and, and get paid for it. it we're halfway there we Brilliant. just need the money part yeah we just have to become famous on Twitter or Twinder or Tinder or whatever <laughs> Twinder <gasps> I'm gonna combine Twitter and Tinder Twinder it'll be the next big thing. I have to go up to San Francisco and tell So them. you meet up with people by tweeting them? Yes. <laughs> hmm, okay. Interesting. Anyway, as I was as I was saying a minute ago, uh, say things to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash getyourfunk and um, go to overmental.com and that's where you can find our podcast as well as other cool podcasts as well. Uh, but we're still, even after a couple of years, we're still the only one that's about music. So yeah, I guess you could say we have a little bit of a monopoly there. Yeah, but I don't think it's because we have control over that as much as just no one else wants to do a music podcast. Probably. Uh, anyway, but if you're into uh, you know, video games, some, I think there's even some ones about movies too. I think I, I think their video game podcasts are more the more popular things. So that wraps up our show for today. Until next time. Until next time. This is Walter Cronkite. Yeah, one of those old 40s like, next time on Little Orphan Annie. (laughs) Little Orphan Annie gets run over by a truck. (laughs) This has been your host, Peter. And this has been your host, Kyle. And this has been Funk Radio. And this has been your host, Kyle. And this has been Funk Radio. Bye. For more original podcasts, videos, and pop culture news, visit Overmental.com. Thanks for listening.